This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives, with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Morning, gentlemen. Morning, Stu. Morning, Stuart. Morning, Connell. Here we go. We are back in the studio. <laughs> that started out sounding like a skit. Yeah, just, yeah. I, it just a Monty Python skit just came into my head. I don't know why. I knew it was going to be like that. But I was, that's the why goons. I hesitated. To think. If you yeah, say it, then that's I'll us. say it. It's going to sound weird. That's us. That's the goons. Yeah. Good morning. All right. Yeah. Anyway, do something sensible quickly, Stu. I'll do something sensible quickly, <laughs> which is probably just get up and leave. No. Uh, here we are, uh, back at the studio, and we are recording our next episode of Thrive Perspectives as we continue our journey through our study of our worldview and reflecting yep. on what our worldview is. And uh, again, listeners, if you haven't had a chance to check out the diagram, if you go to our most recent podcast um, or to our website, you'll see that there's a link there. You can watch a really short video of a diagram that we've sketched up that will help you understand the axis that we're talking about. Instead of a single horizontal axis, we're talking about a, an axis that looks like a plus sign or a big cross in the middle mm. of your page where on the left-hand side of the horizontal axis, we have pain. On the right-hand side, we have pleasure. At the top, we have the sacred. And at the bottom, we have the profane. And we're talking about how most of us have the propensity to live most of our lives on this flat horizontal line uh, mm. without really being drawn up into into the sacred so and last last uh, time we talked we really covered off a, a bit about the, the the quadrants the four quadrants mm. that sit inside those four areas and we pretty much um, covered the areas talking about um, pleasure uh, at the sacred qu- quadrant and mm. also pleasure at the mm. profane quadrant and uh, Matt there were some really good points I think that came out about how we can create um, an opportunity to to reflect and to be drawn up into that sacred space for for pleasure. So yeah, so we uh, established a, a connect very important connection between. Ple- See, this is the thing when you what we're saying about the Christian worldview is there's this up this whole other dimension to human life. I mean, uh, in our culture life is normally envisaged on this trajectory between pain and pleasure. And what we're saying is, no, there's this whole other dimension uh, because there is a transcendent dimension to reality and mm. uh, which adds a purpose to life, a meaning to life. And, and But you also get this axis, this second um, vertical axis between the sacred and it's at the top. You have to get the sacred and the sublime and the glorious and the, and so forth. You know, majesty, holiness is at the top there. The bottom probably even goes deeper than profane in, in a sense. Pro, pro, to be profane is to sort of be non-holy, but but there's a deeper mm. sense of of desecration and defilement. Yep. And those are very countercultural words. words for us. You know, to talk about say someone being defiled i mean you you can barely say that in our culture without it's just you, you you can't speak really of that sort of thing and that testifies to the fact that what we've essentially done in our culture and speaking broadly is that because we didn't like the bottom end of that vertical axis we just got rid of the whole yeah. dimension essentially and and so by lo- but by losing a sensitive sensitivity to uh defilement and and guilt and in, in those those very deep and disturbing spiritual negative spiritual experiences by not allowing ourselves to feel or face those realities i would say as yeah. a, as as a christian then we've also lost any sense of the sacred and the sublime and the, i mean mm. i think i think we retain it in a 
sort of subconscious sense and, and people speak of things being sublime and um, and there's almost a certain uh, repressed religiosity that kind yeah. of comes out, as has been pointed out often, that, that this sort of repressed religiosity in, in sort of modern people yeah. that keeps coming out. But it's interesting to note how even words change their meaning. I mean, even the words pain and pleasure yeah. kind of change their meaning because because once you broaden your the dimensions of reality, once you broaden your field of reality, then pleasure takes on a whole other dimension as mm. well. And mm. there is a pleasure that is really the highest pleasure is connected with what is sacred and sublime and mm. glorious, you know, mm. and so... There's a sense in which the human heart really longs for that. And so that's important to recognize because essentially what what our culture calls pleasure is essentially the satisfaction of impulse. That's mm. what tends to get passed off uh, for pleasure. It's the satisfaction of my uh, – and, and dare we call them baser impulses. Now, in a sense, all of our, all of our physical – capacity for pleasure is actually closely connected and, and can be in a sense sanctified and broadened and combined with a sense of the sacred so for example as christians you know one of the main celebrations thanksgiving celebrations around the lord's supper and so there's this combination of the pleasure of eating and drinking with as connection with right. with the sacred. sacred so it has this sacramental significance and there's a sense in which we can sanctify or elevate pleasures as long as we recognize that there is there are there is a sort of purpose for for these things mm. so you can't just for something to be sacred means it can't just be treated in any any way that's that's as yeah in a sense what it means to be sacred uh, and so that adds a whole dimension to i guess christian life ethic uh, things, for example, like, and of course, this is the topical issue of, of our time around sexuality, for example. Um, sexuality, in a sense, is is a very core part of our sacredness. I and mean, it's like our sexuality is, in, in a way, the inner sanctum uh, of uh, of our personhood, in, in, in a sense. It's a very important uh, part of that. And sacred, right? And that means, given that it's sacred, it can't be treated in, in just in any old way, it's not anything goes, and it's not even a matter of well, no one gets hurt, so yeah. uh, so it's okay. No, but that's thinking on a flat trajectory. So, at the that bottom quadrant, bottom right hand quadrant, recognizes that there is uh, a way of trying to find pleasure that essentially causes a sense of desecration, desecration of something sacred. Yeah. And uh, and that again that that's the controversial aspect of the Christian way and 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 it's particularly it was in in association with with sexuality particularly and and this goes back particularly to Freud that there was a lot of guilt and shame attached to that probably probably in a way that was not really healthy I'd acknowledge that in the in the yep. Victorian era you know yep. the Victorian approach to sort of sexuality which was all pretty hypocritical anyway and mm. and, and probably not helpful but. But Freud's answer to the sense of shame around sexuality that people were experiencing was just to get rid of the, yeah. the get rid of the whole vertical axis. So I think there, Matt, too, when you get rid of the vertical axis, what that really means is that anything is right or wrong has to be plotted on that somewhere that's right, between yeah. pleasure and pain. So there, there is no other dimension. At least that's the way you know modern culture and the world would like us to believe, yeah. and therefore. Something's only wrong if it inhibits someone from realizing their pleasure or progress yeah, right. in life. Yeah. And and so 
it, it ultimately comes down to, is it hurting someone else? Yeah. So, so the ultimate value really on that, on a, on a purely single axis is the satisfaction of my desire. I mean, that's all you've got. Yeah. Life is about the, the pursuit of pleasure. And if you deny me the satisfaction of my desire, that's almost the cardinal sin of mm-hmm. our culture. Yeah. Uh, whereas w- we recognize particularly, uh, and, and this is another aspect of Christian worldview that we will explore because of the time in which we live in a fallen world and life is about mission. Uh, it's actually not about the fulfillment of, of pleasure. In a sense, there's a sense of, uh, perpetual unfulfillment in, in this age. In a previous, we, yeah. uh, I explored that actually with DJ in a previous podcast, uh, uh, podcast mm. that we referred to. I think it's titled something about the unful living the unfulfilled life. Yeah, and that's a it's that is a very countercultural yeah. kind of idea. So to say to someone, well, um, yes, you might desire this, but but that's not the right thing. Even saying that is is really a cardinal sin, and that's because of what you've described. Because when you flatten, once you lose the any sense of transcendent purpose, then life is about the pursuit of pleasure, and to deny someone the fulfilment of their pleasure is yeah. and it's why all, cardinal sin. All of our, in fact, even when this is well, this is one of the problems we have is when we're speaking as a church, is we talk about sin, and the only capacity that mm. those who don't share our worldview can interpret that is somewhere on that horizontal line mm. is we're telling people that this is right or this is this is wrong and yeah. making some sort of moral putting some sort of moral pin in yeah. that horizontal line but then then you kind of have to That's go well point. well why is it right or wrong well it, it it's it's the only co- the only framework that others you know outside of the church can can understand is it's only wrong if it's hurting somebody else if all of our laws are all that you can't break into someone else's house, you can't bash someone up, you know, mm, you can't, yeah. everything's based yeah. around hurting other people. So, and I think this is why this is really important that we understand this, this, this particular model is it helps us have a better dialogue with those who are outside the church, outside the church yeah. because they have a completely different worldview. Mm. And when we talk about sin mm. and what's right and what's wrong and what's sacred and what's profane, a great point. those things just don't make any sense. And yeah. I think this is why, you know, we can get lost in all of the abstract concepts mm. and thinking and, you know, mm. that if we bring it back to something that's really important, I think is why every Christian needs to understand this, whether you, mm. whether you acknowledge it or not, is that if we want to have good conversations with those outside the church, we have to understand that we have a worldview that is quite different to the worldview that the culture wants to impose yeah. on us. It's essentially cross-cultural communication. That's what we're doing. I mean, the same, yeah. the same principle that applies for people doing Christian mission and Christian outreach in completely different cultures and, and the, the need in those contexts to be sensitive yep. to what people do believe and to try in a way to find bridges and to build on that. Mm. That's a, you know, it's a very important missional principle rather than just go in and, and be dismissive and, and just sort yeah. of trample over those things. Which then just feels like coming back to your point about putting a pin on that horizontal line for them. Essentially, it's like I'm stopping you from getting to pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it's not just... You know, it's not just that's bad. It's like, and you can't have pleasure. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so, it, so it's for, it's unintelligible. I mean, this yeah. is this is the thing when we, we, we have to recognise that, and this is why probably starting with 
because because our our ethical discourse can't be intelligible mm. outside of our framework, right? Yep. And and so unless people share that, they're they're not. It's not going to make sense, right? Yep. We're just going to come across as mean and bigoted and spoiling all the fun, and um, because of, of the way that pleasure and pain are understood in such yep. a flat way, which is why we have you know what we we see almost every day in the media now is Chris the church butting up. A, Against that's right. That's exactly what we see. The yeah. culture, and I uh, and I can see that even the ability for the church to communicate well why we say or believe or hold certain values close yeah. to us, we aren't able to articulate our worldview very well. I don't think we're doing that very well either mm. as individuals or even as as a yeah. as a church. And so society just doesn't get us, and they just see us as you said, being you know like bigoted or or um, ultra yeah. ultra conservative or just trying to stop with... people having pleasure if yeah. we just use that word and again. and yeah. and as i think a lot of christians tend to blame the world in a yeah. sense yeah. a sort of frustration that they don't get it but the the very nature of being christian means that you take resp- there's a sense of yeah. I'm I'm willing to take responsibility yeah. and it's our responsibility <laughs> to actually Share the truth with people, but a lot of people translate that it's like throwing moralistic hand grenades into the public space. That's not community. We've got to be intelligible. There's the cross-cultural aspect now. And so starting with with moral issues, it's just not – you've got to start at the center. You've got to start at the heart because the moral discourse cannot make sense outside of the Christian worldview. And so so we need to be – in a sense, reflecting that that worldview, and and there's an amazing opportunity here because this other dimension of reality that we're talking about isn't just an abstract thing. We ourselves are actually the windows to that. This is why, this is why we're to be witnesses and not just peddlers of a of a smart idea. Because a lot of people say, "Ah, oh, I, I could never convince people." Well, see, that's the you don't actually don't have to. You just have to reflect. Actually, you. Each one of us is a window to that other dimension, and and the more that we, the more porous we become, and the more the more we Im- sort of embody, you know, the sacredness and the glory and the holiness of God. The the clearer that window is, the more we reflect God's image and God's mm. glory to to other people. And so there's this amazing opportunity that we have that gets a little lost when in at, when we become belligerent and a bit frustrated and well, and ah oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket yeah, yeah. and we just point the finger and and then sort of throw some moral hand yeah. grenades and then people you know and then wonder why you know the world kind of you know is hostile towards us but and then we blame them. Now there's an element. I'm not saying it's good that people are hostile toward you know towards. I'm not justifying that, but I'm saying let's always point the finger at us and say what can we do better. Yeah, and there's another side to that too because there's I think there's a lot of a lot of Christians that aren't necessarily pointing the finger, but they're actually pointing the finger back at the church and saying, "Hang on a minute, has the church got this right? Why are we rubbing so hard against mm. culture? Maybe." And it starts that deconstruction yeah, so they process. Say, say, oh, yeah, it is. Because in a way, if if you've taken on the values of the cult, which happens, it seeps in, you know, um, then you have people thinking, oh, it is kind of mean. And, mm. and we're Christians. We shouldn't be mean. And so it seems the kindest thing to do is for me to, you know, affirm and celebrate, 
you know, whatever it is that you want to do and say, yeah, you go do that. And if no one gets hurt, it's fine. And that seems like the kindest thing uh, to do. And and it's not that we shouldn't be unkind. But you can see, I I totally understand why, why people go that way. But it's capitulating to a single horizontal axis. It's it's losing. You're losing that anchor, the, the, the though. And then you reality. start to actually question. Well, actually, is all the stuff that I've actually believed in God? Yeah. Is it? A, it does it even make sense anymore? Does yeah. my worldview yeah. and your worldview starts to 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 kind of crumble because you actually didn't start off with a a strong worldview in the first place. That mm. that multi-dimension. If you understand. In the multi-dimensional vertical yeah. and horizontal axis, if you don't start there and you just keep coming back to the horizontal and keep looking at it and going, yeah, we are kind of mean, or oh, maybe mm. my worldview maybe needs some deeper investigation mm. to see whether what we're saying is is actually just hurting people, mm. whether we need to move with change, and then you start to think, well, maybe how much of this, how much of what God said can I even trust? In yeah. the first place, and so the de- deconstruction. Right. So I think there's a lot of Christians out there actually on the standing still in the church, but wondering: Have we got it right? Have we got it right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's a really that's and, really, and that's partly because there's been a loss of frame. I think a bit of a loss of framework, or yeah. or maybe a conscious framework. And 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 we'll go on to talk about this a little later, Stu, because I do good. want to cover the other two quadrants. Yeah, great. But we. I think we're more influenced by a culture. We're very flattened by a culture, and that's part. That's I think part of the problem. So we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about that. But let me. I, I want to go to the to the left hand side of the of the vertical line, and just talk a little bit about the relationship between pain, actually, mm. and a sense of desecration. Mm. There are experiences that are painful. The pain of which is enormously expanded because it has a kind of desecrating af- effect. Now, now, when I say that, it doesn't mean that when that pain is inflicted that we, are, we s- suddenly become n- not sacred. We, 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 retain, uh, our, we retain our sacredness. But the very concept of desecrated, when something is desecrated, something that is sacred that is not treated accordingly. Okay. Mm. So, um, so let me let me use an illustration to ex- to describe this dimension of, of of pain. Let's say I'm walking along one day, I walk under a tree, and and the, and the wind blows, and a branch dislodges uh, because of the wind and falls on my head, right? And I'm injured. Now, there's a certain kind of pain that I'm going to feel, obviously, and and you know, and I'll go through a re- recovery. And so, so that's one that that's one kind of pain and injury. Now let's take a different. Let's say I'm walking along, and instead of the branch falling out of the tree, you know, blown by the wind and falling on my head, let's say someone actually picks up a fallen branch, and comes over and maliciously starts bludgeoning me with this branch, right, and then walks away. Now it's the same injury, mm. right? But there's a whole other dimension to the pain. There's actually a there's actually a very deep trauma attached to that experience. Now, now let's now let's say it's exactly the same injury. Let's yeah. say it's that person just hits me on that. Let's say, for argument's sake, that it's exactly the same injury, right? With the first case, you're not going to have you. Just, it's it's the physical pain and the you know, and there's a certain amount of there's a certain trauma that that goes with that, but there's a whole other dimension of trauma that comes 
when another person maliciously strikes me because it's there's this intuition that something sacred has been desecrated that someone would do that to me you mm. know mm. Uh, that someone would be so malicious to, mm. to actually physically strike me you know yeah. and we hear this Matt on the I mean we hear this on the news when people's homes get broken into and a TV gets stolen or whatever and it's like it's it's a just, sense of violation exactly it's just a TV yeah. but it's like we just feel so violated in our own home and yeah. you know that only works that's on right this, mm. on the vertical you know I, I, exactly because <clears throat> there's a you know th- there is because we are sacred, you know, essentially to love another person. Love is the recognition of infinite sacred value. That's what, that's what love is. It's not, it's not something in, in its best sense. I mean, love is used in, in so many, so many senses. And even in Greek, there's a different words for that very reason. But true uh, agape, to use the Greek word, true agape love is this recognition of infinite sacred value. And, which is regard, which is regardless of how you behave or anything, it's just the fact that you are. That's right. Makes you sacred. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And there is a pain associated with being treated in a way that isn't sacred, mm. because it goes to the very core uh, of our being and the sense of desecration uh, that comes from that. Now, now that's that's the case with things like, as you mentioned, Stu, with you know having your house robbed or yeah. having someone um, having someone strike you. Now, now go to the, you know, with what I said about the, the sense of our sexuality being, in a sense, the inner sanctum of our of our sacredness in in, a, in an important sense, and that's certainly how Scripture t- really treats it as a yeah. very sacred thing. There's a whole book of the Bible that celebrates sexuality. So, mm. so it's it does that in a way not to demean spiritual. It's not a it's not a sort of dirty horrible thing. No, it's a beautiful aspect of life. There's a whole book, the Song of Solomon, that mm. is a celebration of romantic and sexual love. So, so that's the Bible has a very positive view of it, but it's sacred. Mm. And so it's it's in a sense two people in a sacred sacred union, and we and it's a sacred union because according to Genesis chapter one, it's it's the togetherness of the man and the woman that it's the two complementary halves of the whole that reflects the the image of God, and so there's a sacred purpose to sexuality about unity and diversity, and it's 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 a beautiful aspect of the Christian and, yeah. worldview, you know, yeah. and 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 so. When it comes to sexual abuse, one of the reasons that that it's just so damaging is because it drives in this sense of I'm of, of non sacredness. It's it's to treat as profane yeah. something. It's to treat people coming out of abuse. You know, t- tend to start seeing themselves as objects for for other people to use and abuse. And it's a terrible, terrible tragedy. Mm. And and it's but it's it's also a place where I've seen God do amazing works of healing in that very space as well. It's amazing mm-hmm. uh, people who have journeyed through that towards healing, you know, can often uh, give amazing testimony to the power of God and 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 often become actually very porous. What I'm talking about because they've, you know, when you've experienced the worst of it, in in a sense, it, it's that experience of the pain of it that mm-hmm. can sensitize you then to the pleasure of the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I say, it's often uh, often a lot of people come to believe in God because they have real, they get really close to the coalface of evil, real evil, you know, and and it's the contrast and the polarization that happens that, that you know, an experience of evil tends to, tends to alarm the soul in a sense or open up the soul to, well, evil only exists as the counterposition to what is ultimately good. Mm. 
That's essentially a disorder. Evil, according to Augustine, actually, is essentially a disordering of of God's hierarchy of goods. Mm-hmm. So, and that includes to treat something that is sacred as profane, as an object, you know. Mm. And, and so, you know, so in a sense, even on the right-hand side of that trajectory, even to, you know, two consenting adults, I think there, there is still can be a sense of, of mutual desecration in a sense um, mm. because two people can treat each other like objects and they can be consenting, but we would still say, but that's just not, it's not right mm-hmm. even in that, even in that yeah. space. Yeah. So I, I know there's a lot of complexity uh, yeah. around but it. But it, it yeah. is a really, it's a really good illustration, I yeah. think, mm. for what we're really talking about there. Mm. Because for that person who's maybe questioning their faith and thinking, has the church got it wrong? Because it doesn't quite make sense, you know, these moral hand grenades mm. that we're kind of throwing into the into yeah. the ring all of the time. Mm. That really kind of highlights the difference of what we're talking about. Because we're not actually talking about moral hand grenades, I think what we're trying to do, and that, that, that's a mistake we, we mm. make because we, we, we ourselves keep just thinking about, you know, putting pins on that horizontal mm. yeah. line. I think what we really want to do is it's not about those moral hand grenades mm. because for those people, if you're not in the church, if you're not a Christian, it's not a, those aren't the moral that careful what I say here. They they are they're still valid moral principles. Mm, yeah, but that's not the main the big no. the main game here because there's the vertical axis that we really want people to understand. If we if you can't understand and appreciate the fact that there is a sacred dimension in life, mm. then all of those moral yeah. Um, values that we hold are just rules. Are, are just well, they make no sense. Yeah, so why right. it's it's none of that makes yeah. any sense unless you actually understand mm. that there is a sacred. And yeah. I think that's what you were saying before as well, Matt, about us being porous. It's we're not out there as a as a necessarily as a, a moral guide, but as a a guide to to show people that there is a sacredness mm. in mm. life, that yeah. when people look at it, they go, there's something, another dimension there that we're, we're living in that, that isn't just Yeah, we, we should probably say at this point too, because the word sacred does get bandied about a yeah. bit yeah. In, our, in our culture, but in, in a very, not in a consistent way. It's, it's pick and choose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we essentially what – what it is is us choosing what is sacred. Mm-hmm. So it's the, even that word itself mm. has been flattened, because the very nature of sacredness is that we don't choose what is sacred. And I was just, I was just going to say, I think there's an element. Can I suggest of mystery in the sacred, where we actually don't know all of the all of the dimensions of what makes that That's right. sacred. Excellent. We just have to trust that we're told it is sacred. Yeah. You know, so if we just come back to this this the sexuality and the relationships thing and couples, let's say that are seemingly committed to each other and, you know, they've been going out for a while and they're, you know, having mm. sexual relations with each other and we go, Well, you know, what's wrong with that because of our flatland? But but the element is you know, we've talked a bit about what we would see that to be, but there's a whole other dimension that we we're probably never gonna understand around yeah. the mystery of Sacredness. Yes. Yeah, know? that's right. And and I mean, I, I remember a conversation with a guy, you know, I knew that was convinced that it was as part of his natural makeup that mm. 
you know, that sleeping with as many w- women as possible. That's, you know, he says, looks at the natural world. Mm. That's what happens with mm. the, you know, the, the monkeys and the, mm. and, and the lions and all that. And, and so he said, so it's natural. And then he said, if no one gets hurt, right, mm. and it's, we, we, you know, it's pleasurable, mm. then what could possibly be, be wrong with it? Yeah. And yes, of course, on a single axis, mm. that kind of makes sense. But as soon as you recognize the sacredness of these human beings that are treating themselves and other people essentially as objects for pleasure. Uh, and you also recognize the fact that there is a design for, hu- there is a purpose for humanity, a design for our lives, a design for our sexuality. And it, it's, it's a design that ultimately gives, is to give glory to God. And so, and, and yeah. whether we completely understand it, I think that's a good point, Stu, because mm. it, it's, it's not, can't explain it all. Yeah, we, we don't have to explain it all for it to be for it to be valid. But certainly, I think actually in our experience, th- there there are points at which people do definitely acknowledge that it's not just physical. So, mm. and 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 the the connection with you know with sexual abuse is it, you know that's very much the case. Mm. There, no one says, "Oh, it's just a physical injury." Mm. No one's saying that. Mm. You know, when it comes to that, yeah. you know, so so it's like we pick and choose our moments to recognize that's whether it's just. Point. You know whether it's just physical or and or, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but a, a, as I said, and I really should uh, put here because I realise it's a sensitive topic, mm. and mm. and if you feel you know for some reason this touches on anything that that you've experienced, it's really important that you you know you talk to someone uh, about that um, because th- there is a journey of healing uh, that, that that you can go on. So, mm. the other the other aspect uh, of this also is the connection. I'm going to move to the fourth quadrant. Now, that sort of top left hand, that space between pain and the sacred, mm. and there is a there is a certain sanctifying effect actually that 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 painful experiences can actually have. It doesn't make pain a good thing. Um, we've got to be careful to say, well, it was actually good that that happened to you, because you know it has this sanctifying effect. It says in you know Romans eight twenty eight that that God works in all things for the good who, of those who love Him. Now that doesn't mean that God causes the evil things to happen. <laughs> the world isn't the way that God wants it to be. So the uh, the worldview that says there is a reason for everything, and if something bad has happened to you, you just need to recognize that it's part of some perfectly rational fabric of reality. That's actually Stoicism. That's Greek and Roman Stoicism. Uh, which did get a little mixed in there with Christianity yeah. in the early stages, yeah. and still is. So that yeah, yeah. you know that 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 actually comes from a different different worldview. It doesn't have the narrative of fall in it. You know, mm-hmm. now what you have the distinct thing about the Christian worldview is that you have this idea that the world, in a sense, has fallen into this chaotic state. Essentially, the, the realm of the world system. This is often the way that the word world is used. Not always, but it's the way that the world is used in terms of world system, is in rebellion against God. And so so there are a lot of things that happen, a lot of pain that we bring on ourselves that God never wanted, a lot of pain that other people bring on us that that, that God didn't want. There's a lot of pain that our environment brings upon us, a large part of which, and I think more than a lot of people will acknowledge, is actually our responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and I know a lot of people resist that. You know, like with things like climate change and and, and so forth. Uh, but 
the nature of humanity is that we're responsible for the world. If there's something wrong, it's most probably our fault. I don't have to wait for the science at a theological level. You know, if if things are going awry in our environment, it's probably got something to do with us. Well, and we were commanded to look after it. We were com- exactly. So you know, so there's a certain amount of pain that we bring on ourselves by virtue of the fact that we wreck the environment. Now, when I say we, I'm speaking in the biblical worldview, all human beings are connected uh, and we function not as in, not individualistically, but we were always created to function corporately, right? Mm. So that means that, that anything that someone else does can have an impact on me and, and it's part of the consequences, you know, it's part of the natural consequences. This was uh, expressed in that, that famous sort of phrase in in the Bible when God declares his name and part of declaring his name is that he visits the consequences of the sins of the fathers onto the children to the third and fourth generation. This is part of God declaring his, you know, and yet showing love and grace to, you know, thousands of generations. It says that as well. That's the important bit. But, But there's this sense that God has so empowered us as human beings, made us so responsible that when we make a bad choice and we wreck, uh, you know, our environment, that God actually is committed. Part of that empowerment is is a commitment to allowing the consequences to flow. Right. So if I empower you to make a decision, you make the wrong, and then I quickly step in and stop that from happening. Essentially, what I've done is disempower, disempower. you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So so God is actually committed to us living in the world that we made. You know, and some people say, well, you know, what about like earthquakes and, and you know, natural – in a perfect world, earthquakes uh, would have happened, in, mm. you know, but probably for one, human beings would not have built cities on followers, mm. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but there's, a, there's, there's, you know, we're so out of touch with our environment, you know, we've, we've lost that connection in, because in Genesis 1, the world is depicted as this sort of sacred temple, in a, in a sense, like a, a holy place where God dwells in harmony with his people. And so we've so lost touch with our environment that now it's kind of vies against us. And a lot of pain comes from that. And including, you know, I mean, uh, they, they they know that, you know, like animals, for example, know when earthquakes are going to happen before they happen. Mm. And so it's a reproach upon us because... Most of the other creatures are more in touch with the environment than we are. We've we've objectified, we've instrumentalized it. You know, we treat it. It's all profane. It's yeah, just instruments. No yeah, yeah, it's it's instruments for our use to make me happy. Right mm-hmm. now, no matter no matter what the cost. Yeah, and 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 look, and it's interesting when it comes to environmentalism. This is an area where people have tried to recover this sense of the sacred. You know, and and all you know, all life is sacred. Yeah, but why? You know. Mm. The, the deep ecology movement, for example, wants to say that there's an inherent value to all, you know, to all life apart from its instrumental um, value, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when as soon as you use the language of value, you're appealing to some transcendent purpose, mm. and and on the whole, you know, on the whole, the the, the progenitors of deep ecology are uh, atheistic. So I don't I don't see how this is where this selective use of the word word sacred. Um, but th- look, my point is. Is that there's a, there is a lot of pain involved in life, and yet the experience of that pain, because it puts us in, in a sense, it's a, it's, and there's an intentional sense in in how we engage with that pain, of course. But in moments when the window of our luxurious artificial reality that we create in our culture, when the window of that sort of artificial 
heaven that we've created sort of blows open and, and reality of, you know, sickness and death and bereavement and, and these things which are part of life in a fallen world. When we get struck by these things, it's actually a moment in which we are at the coalface of reality. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make it good. It doesn't make the experience good. Remember when Jesus was told that his friend Lazarus uh, had died, the shortest verse in the Bible, yeah. Jesus wept. Mm. He wept over death, right? It was painful, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's just, it, those experiences are just bad. There's no, we don't have to find a reason for it. And yet, there's a sense in which it puts us in the cold face of reality. We find in those moments, if we will respond and recognize, and that's an important part, if we will recognize it, it throws us onto that vertical trajectory in a sense, because we recognize, we recognize there's something really wrong in a transcendent sense. Mm. You know, it's an, an, part of our pain is experiencing that. It's an objective. I mean, I guess the atheist would say, and it comes back to what you said about value. I mean, how do you sort of go, this is valuable and this is not valuable? I guess they would say it's ultimately there is, it's not valuable, but it's valuable to us yeah, as individuals. Right. Yeah. So um, it's, it's valuable in terms of like we've got to treat people well because, you know, we want to be treated well. So there's an inherent value in us behaving a certain way. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about, and maybe that for them that's sacred, and that's a mm. kind of a word that they might substitute with sacredness. It's stuff that we value that yeah. we set apart as that's something right. that's valuable. Yeah. But I think that the vertical access sacred that we're talking about, that's actually founded and originates in God, and is the things that God actually sets apart, mm. confers a much deeper level of value than what we could ever ascribe yeah. to anything, because it it transcends what we think. Mm. is valuable and it becomes what God's declared as yeah. valuable. And so when we're talking about people with suffered sexual abuse and, and so on, it's not just because it hurt them. It's because they are sacred yeah. and valuable in, in, in that sense. Like it's it's not just about right and wrong. We actually want to make elevate human life. Mm. We want to elevate the environment. Yeah. We want to elevate everything around us to the highest possible level that's just not possible mm. if we only f- work in the horizontal axis yeah. because we actually have an elevated axis that moves up to the sacred, which yeah. is set apart by God. It's not a result of what we value or what we find logical mm. or reasonable. Right. Even if the world ceases to exist right now, mm. those things are still sacred and valuable, mm. whether we acknowledge yeah, and, it or and I not. Think, I think people... It's it's an era we have an irrepressible sense of that in a sense. Mm. I mean, we well, it's not because we, I think we, we, we do repress, repress it. it. We yeah. actually do repress it, but it comes out, yeah. um, and and there's still this intuition of something sacred. I mean, even take you know bereavement for example. I mean, th- there's something so wrong about the break in a loving relationship. I mean, it's just yeah, and and this is. The significance of the fact that when Jesus is confronted by death, he doesn't he doesn't take up the role of the Stoic philosopher mm. and says, "Well, you just need to be philosophical about it," which is that's where the phrase come that phrase comes from Stoicism, mm. you know. And you just need to recognize it's all. Hey, he didn't say, "Oh, look, it's all part of my." And actually, in that case, it really was part of his plan to let that happen. He makes that explicit, and yet he still weeps because it's just wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And it's wrong in a very deep sense that we possibly can't even articulate because of the sacred value of human life because because of of the significance and depth of human relationships and the and and the 
the spiritual connections between us when those when a connection like that is broken there's a deep encounter with the fundamental wrongness of the way that things are right now. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we recognize this because this is the main thing that God is reversing right now. Mm. This is the main, the tra- whole trajectory of redemption is, you know, is towards eternal life. You know, the resurrection of, of, of Jesus, the single most his- important historical event, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is the reversal of death. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so when we, when, and this is in, in that fourth quadrant, you know, the connection between pain and, and this sense of elevation can, can, can in a sense put us in touch with that yeah. vertical trip because you, you're having essentially in that pain, you are encountering, albeit in a painful way, encountering uh, something about the sacredness, yeah. uh, you know, of humanity. You know, I mean, Jesus says to his disciples, when you're persecuted, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Goodness. And he would have known the kinds of things they were going to do to the Christians. Yeah. I mean, terrible, yeah. terrible yeah. things yeah. Uh, under the under the emperors of Rome. And yet he says, "Blessed are blessed are you when men persecute you." Why? Because there's a there's a sacred role that you're fulfilling. You are giving up your lives. There's there's a uh, you you through that. Uh, are becoming windows, witnesses, and and the the Greek word for witness is martyr. That's where we get the word martyr from. It means being a witness, mm-hmm. because it was understood that those early martyrs, by the way that w- dying in that way, they were windows to the fact that there is something more valuable than their pleasure or pain, yep. even than that, and that they were willing to go through terrible pain and loss and even death itself yep. for the sake of. God and the glory of God and giving glory to God. And that just was like a massive open window Mm -hmm. to the world that, and actually, you know, it was the persecution of Christians. I mean, you know, by, you know, by the time Constantine is converted in 312, uh, a little later than that, that he becomes a Christian. Christian. But, you know, by the time Christianity is, is legalized, it's 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 legalized because it's spread all through the empire. I mean, it's, it's in a sense, it's won the day. The problems start, actually start you know this is another topic but the problems start when it starts getting cushy and comfortable and and you know and and that's when the, it starts to flatten that's when reality starts to flatten oh, a bit but and, yeah. and Matt, i think you know the point you made before for me anyway was a really good one about the fact that we've got this innate sense of the sacred and the profane mm. in us yet we spend in western culture most of our time trying to use strategies that actually repress it, that try yeah. to eliminate it. In fact, we go shopping and we spend money on things and we have status and all sorts of other things, which is actually because that innate value. Well, there's a pain associated Correct. there. Correct, exactly and, right. And, we're, and essentially what we're trying to do is anesthetize Correct. the pain. That's right. But how do we anesthetize the pain? By desensitizing exactly. ourselves yep. to the vertical trajectory. Exactly. And and the ways in which we do this, and we can, you know, I mean, people do this with actual drugs, but, mm. you know, uh, our drugs can be, you know, a sense of six. Because the, the other thing is there's a loss of personal identity. Once you flatten that out, what are we? We're just, what, biological machines? Yeah. And so that that terrible loss of identity, or, or at worst, where you know we identify ourselves by our pr- profane desires, you know, and you know, w- which which in their right context are good, but they're out of their right context. Mm-hmm. And so the the pain of that, 
you know, we we tend to anesthetize through all sorts of things, you yeah. know. But there is, but the point is, is that there there is also a pain that can sanctify. You know, there are things that we can go through that actually increase our faith, that increase our connection with God. Mm-hmm. The experience, even of of the fallenness of this world, the pain of disease and and natural disasters, and the sense, the pain of our discordance with nature. That's how I would describe a lot of those sorts of things that itself actually is reality that we are discordant with you know mm-hmm. we, we, there is this discordance uh, with us in our environment uh, and so all of the the painful things about life not to mention what people do to one another are in, sen- are in a sense putting us on the cold face of that reality and they can ha- it can have this elevating effect mm-hmm. now um, and as I said, it doesn't make those things good, but it it means that God can work for the good of those who love Him use, in those things. He uses them for good. If we just if we sort of throw out the Christian worldview, pain is just something that the environment around us inflicts on us. Yeah, it doesn't have any can uh, objective transcendent meaning or value but there's no value in pain other than yeah. it's just something that hurts us yeah and and so i think you know by that's what we get when we throw the christian worldview out but when we bring it back in we're not saying that god wants us to be in pain but there is something beyond just the fact that it hurts us it's because we're sacred mm. things are safe but the world the environment around us is sacred and it's things are messed up against that and it, mm. it's it when it, it means as much to do with pain as it does about mm. pleasure, you yep. know. And and I think until we restore that sensitivity mm. to the sacred, pleasure or pain just doesn't make. And it, it's it's just so narrow mm. in its in how we experience it and understand it and react to it that it completely strips meaning out of life. It does really, yeah. and it it just leaves us in in a completely flat. So how do we work on our sensitivity to yeah. the sacred? This is, I, I think, Stu. L- let me. I think that's worthy of probably of a whole episode. Yeah, so, right. so we'll do. We'll actually do a whole episode on that. Uh, but, but I do. I don't want to leave listeners without yeah. uh, pointing in the right direction because there is actually something quite a simple biblical initial step actually uh, to this. One of the the, you know, the initial way in which we sensitize ourselves to the dimension of the sacred is simply to be willing to feel the pain of where desecration or defilement has occurred. We're, we're conditioned, we're prone to repress, get rid of that, run away from it. Justify. Yeah. Now, of course, part of this is allowing, and, and in the last episode, we talked a bit about reclaiming contemplative spaces because we part of our flight from uh, or repression of that bottom end of the vertical trajectory mm. is, uh, you know, is just keeping really busy and keeping a fast-paced life. And and that's one way in which we essentially anesthetize the pain. So, the re- you know, finding contemplative spaces, particularly spaces where we can do that together, this is actually and something we'll talk about in the next, is the importance actually of the corporate dimension because yeah. there's a real sense of the completion of our humanity in the corporate. So there are things that we discover and experience in a corporate environment that you cannot actually experience individually. And and, and I think maybe we, we might know that, but I actually really want to explore 
the reasons for that. There's a really important kind yeah, of great. worldview Sounds reasons mm. uh, for why that is the case. Um, so so the, the recovery of spaces in which we reflect and feel, again, the pain of our desecration and uh, and and there's and this in, in scripture is is the that good old practice of confession, uh, you know. And something that I went to it was in uh, Sydney uh, recently, and and I visited St. Uh, um, what's the cathedral? Is it St. I I was going to say St. Paul's, but I think that's the one in London, yeah, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, first of all, a beautiful, beautiful sacred space. I mean, I, I took my kids in there because, you know, uh, I just thought this would, this would be great for them. Jeremiah loves the, the history and, the, and and Sophia's very aesthetic. And so I thought this would be great for them to talk them through this, you know. And and it's this ama- – first of all, this amazing juxtaposition between between the sense of glory, right, that, 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 that these cathedrals create, you know. And, and then – but – all, all around, you've got the Stations of the Cross and all these massive artworks, Stations of the Cross all around. So it's this combination of glory with humility that Jesus came to humble himself, right? Mm. To make himself as nothing, to become, as, as the scripture said, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, right? So Jesus comes down right to the bottom end of that trajectory. And he comes there to that place of defilement and guilt and desecration, to carry us up from that place. That's the key to our elevation. So to meet Jesus, and, and the other thing that you see around the sides of the cathedral is little booths, and the kids said, well, what are those? I said, oh, they're confession, they're confession booths. And to, the way I explain it, that was like counselling before counselling, basically. You know, you would unload yourself of the sense of shame or guilt. And um, there's a very famous account of actually in James Joyce's portrait of an artist of a young man where he has this um, essentially amazing experience of, of forgiveness, the forgiveness of God. And, and I mean, he, James Joyce didn't go on with that, but it's an amazing description of that if, you, if, you, um, if you're interested. Th- those were places of, of incredible elevation of, of, in a sense, that coming to that place of, of, of confession. Now, we don't do, you know, we don't have sort of, that formal confession in uh, in the Protestant stream of Christianity, but the importance of confessing our sins not to, to one another, I think, is is important. But certainly before God and allowing God, you know, saying God stir in my heart, cut through the anesthetics and the repression, and bring Lord, please, please bring to the surface the things that most grieve you in my life right now, right? Because Jesus came for those things. He came to seek and to save with the lost. So when you feel, if you allow yourself to feel that, that will be the first step that will lead you to a place of holiness and glory and joy. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.